Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the AdPod. Today I'm joined by Tim Norris-Wiles from Harbu and we're going to be talking about data clean rooms. They are everywhere. We keep seeing big announcements from Facebook, from Amazon, from Google, from a whole host of new companies in the space. So it's definitely a very topical time to be talking about them, even though they've been around for ages. So all that leads me to say is, I hope you enjoy episode 12 of the AdPod. Hey Tim, welcome to the AdPod. How are you doing? Hey Wayne. Uh, Yeah, I'm awesome. Yeah, awesome to be on actually. Big fan of the pod. So uh, fulfilling a bit of an aim of mine by being a guest here. There we go. The AdPod's bucket list stuff these days. This is (laughs) (laughs) is for me. That probably shows I've been in the industry for way too long if I'm obsessed with being on advertising podcasts. eh? (laughs) Well, it's great to have you on. And um, for those who don't know you, would you mind kind of giving a bit of an introduction to yourself, your role, I guess your background? Yeah, sure. I'll try not to take forever. But um, yes, I'm I'm Tim. Um, I'm the European Managing Director for a company called Habu. Um, Habu is actually a data clean room software company uh, from the US, but I run the European business here. And um, really, we specialize in helping brands and publishers and agencies and all these different ecosystem constituents to unlock value from their data in a privacy compliant way, kind of enabling it to be joined and analyzed. And we'll get into the details of that right a bit later, but that, that's the kind of core of what we do. Um, in terms of my background, I've actually been in ad tech slash martech for about 11 years um, and technology for 20. My first gig actually was fixing PCs as part of a corporate IT team. Uh, and I quickly realized that the uh, the fun was being had by the sales team. So I rushed <laughs> off to study web technologies at university and somehow fell into ad tech, um, which is pretty cool. Nice. Um, in terms of where, where I began in ad tech, I actually began at a company called ad tech. Do you remember them? Yeah. Yeah. Because of the name. <laughs> it's such yeah. a... It's either programmatic advisory and ad tech, you know, company names just sort of suit what they do. Right. It's um, unsurprisingly a German business. I love the way that Germans like name their companies. So, you know, ad tech, they thought that's, let's call it after the industry. Uh, ad serving, not the most exciting part, but definitely foundational in our, in our ecosystem and continues to be. Um, after that, I moved to Crux, the DMP, in about 2014, helped them to launch in Europe. Um, And that led me to MParticle launching CDPs in Europe in about 2017. So definitely not shy of a good acronym. (laughs) (laughs) So we're we're, we're talking about data clean rooms. So we have the uh, the right person with that background and obviously what you do now. Um, And it is an interesting space, like the the evolution of how technology is enabling like data and et cetera, et cetera. And I think with clean rooms, sometimes the interpretation of them can get a little bit lost. So I think a good starting point would be, you know, what is a data clean room and kind of mm-hmm. at the core, what does it allow for? Beyond being like the uh, most functionally named piece of technology for the last couple of years, um, <laughs> data clean rooms, um, there is actually a semi-formal definition of them, uh, Wayne. So we start there, I guess. So um, they're secure privacy-preserving environments in which one, two, or three or more parties can bring their data together in order to do some kind of join or analysis on the data, right? And the key thing therein is that we can do that join and do that analysis 
in a way that doesn't need any exposure or movement of the raw assets in that data set. Okay, and that's obviously quite appealing today. It strikes a good balance of being able to let people work on some valuable data, but without actually having to introduce the risk or the transfer issues that came before. Um, and, and we'll probably come on to like the kind of genesis of some clean rooms, right? That's where it was really born was around privacy more than anything else. And the fact that people didn't want to keep shipping around files, you know, hashed email addresses in and uh, ad server IDs in because there was too much risk involved. Yeah, because I think if data clean room, would you say it's an evolution of data management of kind of the the CDP in some way, or is it just something completely different? I think, you know, taking a step back from even clean rooms, technology in our industry, you know, is the tools, right? And the tools just adapt to the kind of the, the task in hand and the kind of conditions that we're operating in. Um, and it's very easy to get blinded by new acronyms and right say, oh, I need this new TLA, right, to, to, to make me successful without thinking about what you're trying to achieve. So as opposed to likening it to a CDP or trying to evolve a DMP, I think we should just you know, think about all the things that have changed recently in the industry. You know, we've had GDPR, we've had CCPA come in. There's new privacy regulations in Australia about to go live. Um, really importantly, though, with cookies disappearing, and many of the capabilities of some of those old technologies and tools that we used becoming um, you know, redundant, uh, whether it's because Google stopped sharing you know, data transfer files, right? So it's harder to do reach and frequency optimization via DMP or whatever. You know, we think about the things that have changed and necessarily the, the technology will change alongside it. You have a good track record of, of building new tech to support these use cases. So, uh, the, the long and short of it with the clean rooms is they probably play nicely with CDPs because CDPs are helping brands to get more data. They do something slightly different though. They're here to really help us to unlock the value in the data that brands increasingly have in a compliant way and to solve for some of the measurement and kind of targeting challenges that people face as more and more kind of device identifiers disappear. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And the reason I ask is I know that brands in particular, kind of their mindset before was, well, let's just hover up as much data as we possibly can, store it somewhere, try and match it somewhere <laughs> and see what happens. Whereas now I think as you were saying, like it's more around one, we know that we know that tracking is going away or, or slowly in different or different forms, guys is. Um, and two, really it's about the value, not the volume. So I guess that's kind of where like, a, I guess a clean room can allow one party with value connect with another party of value in a very privacy compliant way. Yeah. And you raise a good point, right? The direct connection of those two sets. I think, you know, obviously having worked directly in, in, in DMP myself, you know, with the DMPs having been built around highly kind of perishable third party IDs, it was really a leaky bucket to store your data in. So I think that was why people were hoovering up as much data as possible because they knew they constantly had to fight deficit, right, of cookie deletion and you know not seeing someone within a 30-day period. And you know that got solved to an extent by CDPs because CDPs obviously are more of an evolution of CRM. And we see kind of people now collecting you know, email addresses and proper customer records and really understanding their, their own customer journey very well. And there have been some amazing you know, transformations in that space. Think about brands like McDonald's, right? Who used to know 
nothing about anyone, frankly. And their only option was to, to advertise to today where they've got hundreds of millions of CRM records and a fantastic kind of mobile order system. You know, that's a big change for them. And as those brands get more data rich, they finally kind of fulfill this promise of the first party data on the brand side. You know, they, they have opportunities now to make really quite endemic partnerships, I think, you know, quite broad daylight partnerships with some of their biggest business partners, right? Uber Eats or, or Justy or Coca-Cola, who's obviously a big trading partner of theirs, but only if they can find a way of being able to compliantly unlock the data, but not just that, not compromising the trust, right? That I think uh, emerges, the trust issue that comes from having to hand everything over, right? Nobody wants to do that anymore. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. So let, let's uh, let's let's take, take like an example. So um, I'm Coca Cola, and I've got a hundred million email addresses or people in my database, and I've got a publisher in the US who I want to be able to run some media with uh, using my audience. Technically, using a clean room. What are the steps that have to happen to kind of actually enable that use case of targeting my audience? Yeah. So. The first thing there is obviously, you know, Coca-Cola, good example. I don't know how many email addresses they actually have, but um, I mean, they do own Costa now, actually. So they've got a lot of loyalty data. That could be a good example, right? Um, targeting is definitely one element of the clean room, right? And I think that's where you start to see um, some synergy and replication of what used to happen in a DMP, perhaps, because you've got buy side and sell side. Each person might be using a clean room. And essentially... What they've done is they've each got their own source of truth in terms of who they know, right? And let's, let's use Costa as the example. The Costa loyalty card uh, owner uh, database is on one side. And let's say that lives in Amazon uh, web services in an S3 bucket, right? What they don't want to have to do is what they probably did yesterday, which was take a copy of that and hand it over to the publisher and say, can you match this audience for me? Right. Or maybe the other way they would have done it was they'd convert that file into a load of cookies and then they would do cookie syncs on the client side to match the audience to the publisher they're working with. Right. That's not going to work tomorrow, as we know, for a bunch of reasons. And the handing over the entire file is a bit all or nothing uh, when you're giving it to someone who works with probably all your competitors. Right. In the media capacity. So this is where the clean room comes in. I think actually it's 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 easy sometimes to get into the complexities of clean rooms without thinking about how elegant simple they actually are the data's already there right they've done the hard work of building this list it's just that instead of copying it out and handing it over to the partner or the application we're actually telling the application to go to the data where it lives just flipping the script a little bit on its head so sending someone like a habu to go and read that data at source without having to take a copy of it and not to actually look at the data there in wayne but actually to just look at the column headers and say well I'm expecting to see when I run this query emails in this column. Uh, I should be expected to encrypt these emails when I run this query because they're PII, right? Without ever having to look at the file. We do the same on the other side. And basically in this very kind of temporal environment, we can create a distributed join across the data sets, right? And that means there's no human eyes on the data. It means there's no need to you know, move the data. There's no need to expose the data. And we can do it all through kind of encryption and in these kind of trusted runtime execution environments. That's very appealing, obviously, to people who want to preserve that level of one-to-one targeting, but they're trying to comply as much as possible with things like regulation. Yeah, got you. Makes sense. And then 
let's say it's uh, Costa and they're using AWS as their instance for the user database. And it's, let's say it's uh, ESPN and they're using Microsoft Azure for their customer database. What happens? How do they talk to each other without data moving? How does that actually work in practice? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question, right? So what you're kind of talking to is that there's been this massive fragmentation in cloud in itself, right? So everybody's placing their bets on different cloud platforms. Um, you know, we have customers across Google Cloud and Amazon and uh, Microsoft Azure, Snowflake's making big moves at the moment. And I think that is actually part of the necessity for uh, kind of intermediary systems, right? To, to be able to dance the dance of, of all these different um, you know, storage locations. Um, each one of them actually probably has some kind of data sharing capability built in to that ecosystem. But to your point, right, we're going to find that there'll be combinations of people using different ones. And Habu's actually gone and built all of that connectivity um, so that you don't need to worry about that piece. I think that's the first thing. It's like whether someone's got their data inside um, S3 or an Azure blob container, which believe it or not is a real thing, um, we can go and solve for the access, the tokenization and the join, regardless of the combination. And if you actually look at um, the announcement we did last week with, with say Snowflake and, and Disney, right? Um, you are seeing a really interesting collision of the ad tech ecosystem and the kind of apps we've been used to using, whether it's for identity or, or targeting and this database level, it's happening at scale right now. Yeah, I find it fascinating because what you, I guess what you want to try and avoid is that um, you can only work with certain, if you're an advertiser or a publisher, you can only work with each other if you have the same cloud instances because then that way cloud is almost dictating what you do in media, whereas media is kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's an extracted layer of cloud which exists across the business entirely across, you know, whatever it might be, whether it's online check-ins, apps, desktop, what, you know, whatever it might be. And so sometimes my initial concern when I heard about the clean room concept a few years back was like, does this just weight the power towards whoever gets land grab on cloud first. And we know there's a massive race to how that to, to how that's playing out. Whereas clean, room yeah. or, clean rooms or intermediaries kind of sit above that and provide the connected layer in a, in a different way. Yeah, and I think you start to get into the differences because there's, there's lots of different types of clean rooms already. I think one thing that people may or may not realize is they're kind of everywhere already, right? So maybe we we break down the different um, flavors and types, and then I'll explain a little bit about how we see the world and, and kind of de, uh, decluttering and, and making it less complex uh, through the work we do. So um, when we wind the, the, the clock back a bit to about 2016, and we go back to when I was at Crux, um, a large part of what we did was take those log files from you know, ad servers like Google and DSPs and use those to uh, power optimizations in media for brands. And they redacted those files when GDPR came along. Obviously, the, uh, the double-click ID was in there. That was perceived to be personal data. And, you know, so brands faced this kind of this, this black hole in terms of what they were doing for optimization there. Um, and they released this product called Full Circle. Most people haven't heard of it. Um, Full Circle was, was uh, what is now known as Google Ads Data Hub. Um, so we had early access to that. And we saw as early as 2016 that these clean rooms were emerging. And that essentially, in order to get to 
the types of you know impression and user level data that the most advanced marketers in the world would need to power the kind of optimizations they had across such big media budgets you'd need to now go to the data where it lived so in google's case that meant they'd give you a big query project with all of the log file information in and they'd set some rules around what questions you can or can't ask in order to get the reach and frequency analysis out of it or you know exclusive reach or to join across google ads versus youtube versus dv360 for example and the the main thing we took i think from looking into full circle back then was that it was hard <laughs> like so hard and so much more complex than it was before that this was never going to scale right and you fast forward to today and other walled gardens have launched clean rooms right so we have amazon with their marketing cloud facebook has something called facebook advanced analytics and i bucket all those three really in together as the walled garden clean rooms yeah the platform clean rooms if you will now, in parallel, what we're seeing is that, you know, to my point about McDonald's and also companies like Disney, right, they're becoming very data rich and they're saying, well, hold on, I'm going to build my own walled garden, right? Um, Disney has the right to do that. They have 150 million registered users. They've done very well recently, right, with their Disney Plus product and so many advertisers across ESPN and their other products that, that they can do that, I think. But if everybody goes and does like a clean room walled garden approach, I think it's just going to be unsustainable unless we have some kind of solution for, for making sense of all of this fragmentation. And, and that's actually where we focus, if anything, at Habu. Um, we, we think of clean rooms as a bit like being MS-DOS on a computer, right? The kind of core underlying stuff is there, but without Windows 95 on top, it's going to be very, very hard to do things like segmentation or to uh, you know, activate the data properly. And we're definitely not here to build yet another clean room. We're here to be more like an operating system on top of all these clean rooms that are already there. Got you. And I think that distinction's um, really clear. And as you say, I think some, some companies will be able to uh, get away is the wrong word, but you know, like develop their own walled garden and a place in which you know, brands can connect to their audiences, but others, you know, maybe don't have the means or don't have the scale to for many people to bother. So there might be a more collaborative effort, I guess, in that instance. Yeah, well, maybe there's a great place for agencies to play in here as well, right? I think in, in some cases, especially we, we, we've seen a lot of early work in clean rooms around publishers coming together, right, to try and build scale. But brands are talking about it now, you know, certainly in categories like luxury, where they've got a similar audience that doesn't cannibalize each other's purchases, right? There could be some interesting plays there. Uh, retailers obviously are moving in hard and fast into clean rooms. They have the uh, retail media is, you know, the uh, phrase du jour, isn't it, at the moment? And uh, we're seeing them want to build analytic products for their um, CPG partners to, to foster more trade spend. So there's a lot going on. And I think your point around the land grab you mentioned, I think we definitely don't want it to be like that. Like I, I don't want to see a world where clean rooms are all these um we, well we need a, another network another kind of you know system that everybody has to be on i think there's going to be choice there'll be choice of infrastructure people should choose what wall gardens they spend their money in, what publishers they spend their money in what you might need is a common layer to make sense of how you operate within all those distinct environments yeah i would wholeheartedly back that <laughs> as a as a thing where it's more democratized and it's a, uh, no, anyone can access it, I guess. Um, you've mentioned a couple of times around how 
this kind of clean room approach is more kind of privacy friendly or mitigates some of the privacy risks that have you know been written into legislation in like recent years like would you mind going a little bit deeper on on that like sp- specifically what do you think uh clean room uh, uh, you know better enables brands to be more privacy safe yeah so you know i think data leakage used to be an occupational hazard right in our tech it was you know cost of doing business tags on pages would always be leaking data i think the stakes were a lot lower frankly um so it didn't matter uh, but obviously with with gdpr with the kind of prospect of fines and not 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 just monetary fines i think reputational fines the big thing now right if you have a situation where you're in the news because you got breached or you know a file was was found right containing a bunch of plain text emails it goes down pretty badly with me it goes down pretty badly with the news and everybody else so everybody's desperate to avoid that rightly so um gdpr did one other thing it forced every single company to appoint a data privacy officer data protection officer which they didn't always have before so there's a stakeholder now we have to think about whose sole job is making sure that that stuff doesn't happen so when we think about how we used to do things and the dirty secrets of the industry has been the sheer number of files that were flying around in the background, right? From bucket to bucket and database to database. And we'd say, oh, it's all right. We hash the emails. It's okay. Um, but we're still shipping millions, tens of millions of emails around to try and do suppression and targeting. And the risk is very high in that. Um, so no, nobody wants to do that anymore. I think when it was... Um, less scaled in terms of data ownership on the brand side, it wasn't such a problem, right? The the brands were kind of okay with that. But to my point earlier, if you've got hundreds of millions of CRM records that you just acquired, right, legitimately um, through a great data strategy, the last thing you want to do is copy it and hand it over to anybody for both the risk and a trust perspective. So how do clean rooms allow us to still work with the data without kind of causing that privacy risk? Well, Number one, like we said, we don't need to move it or expose it. So it stays in your cloud environment. That keeps your engineers happy, keeps your data privacy officer happy, right? Um, and what you really do with a clean room is you give it temporal read-only access, as I said before, to those kind of column headers of the data, but not the actual rows themselves. And you get to set the rules around um, what particular attributes or data therein can be read. And you get to set the rules around what level of fidelity you want on that join with any partner that you're working with. Uh, there's this kind of emerging area of privacy called um, differential privacy or, or privacy enhancing technologies, PETs for short. And that's things like noise injection, data redaction, uh, further forward, it will be things like homomorphic encryption, which is a bit of a mouthful, but it's something that in the future will allow us to actually compute across data sets without ever decrypting them which will be amazing. It's very expensive right now and takes way too long to work in ad tech, but we'll get there, I'm sure. And, you know, the clean room, whilst you know, being, in our case, very focused on media and advertising use cases, it's really interesting to see, you know, people who've come from a background of you know, programmatic buying and programmatic selling, moving into a world of privacy, actually, and bringing all the things that we're learning to the table to enable awesome use cases to happen without any of that risk. Yeah, and I... That's a really good point. So I think the privacy used to be that a different team or somebody different in the organization would have to, oh, let me bring in the privacy person. Whereas now really it's the responsibility of everyone. Everyone kind of needs to have a privacy first mindset, really. 
um, to how they want to use the data they have available to them. So, yeah, I definitely... through the training, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially you've got lots of different clients. You all want you to have different onboarding, but yeah, I go through that on a regular and basis. You'll probably know this as well. Actually, a question back to you, but you know, we used to have to share lots of data with our agencies. I think that's been an area of challenge, right, for many third parties. Not just doing a privacy assessment, but getting access to data if you're an agency or a consulting partner, right, to a brand is becoming more challenging. Do you agree? Yeah, for sure. The the client onboarding like as a supplier to a client the onboarding process has got far more rigorous um and that that's of course i mean it used to be fairly exclusive to telco um who were always the most stringent in onboarding whereas now it's across every sector because they realize one the fines two the bad press three like just their responsibility to their consumers um it's just a very important part of uh, how to do it whereas I remember back in the day where you could set up ad server tags, which would capture email addresses and just that's a report you could pull from the ad server. You've got all your customers uh, deposit uh, uh, behaviors and whatever. Um, Whereas now that data obviously is much more uh, encrypted and difficult to get to, uh, which is a better way. But um, sometimes I think people throw shade a bit unfairly at the history of some of these things. It was just the way it was done. And this is the way it's done now. And, it's evolution like this is what happens it's very easy to point fingers but um business practices change and our industry has changed and continues to change we do an amazing job of of reinventing you know ourselves and bringing new things to the table i think um and if we hadn't kind of gone through those steps before in the way we did before we probably wouldn't be here today right so uh, certainly from my perspective i can i can trace the lineage across my career right ad serving dmp cdp clean rooms it, it follows really logically to me that, that we'd be in a position now to um, you know, be working around privacy and compliance, but ultimately with the same roots, I think. Um, and I find it really, really exciting and really interesting from a kind of academic perspective now, as we see the kind of um, you know, collision of ad tech and big tech and, and what that does for um, our industry. I think the only thing I would say is I think we're really guilty, and I hope I haven't done it too much in this call, uh, been dragged into the weeds a bit, of, of not bringing people with us. I think the work you're doing you know, around education is just really, really important. I try and do the same thing. Talk in plain English wherever possible, explain concepts, make videos that people can understand so they can understand the category, that kind of stuff. Um, because I think we've got to bring the entire industry, everybody from kind of the intern all the way up to the CMO with us to understand why this stuff is important, not blind them with techno babble. Yeah, 100%. I always... It annoys me if I'm speaking with somebody and I feel like they're intimidated or um, embarrassed to ask a question about the topic. So that should never exist. You know, you should always feel like you have the, you can ask um, and try to explain it back to them in a way which, you know, makes sense. Ladders often back to a use case they're trying to solve for. um, But at the same time, not trying to, you know, um, you know, trying to give enough credit to the technical developments that are happening in this area because it's pretty incredible like some of the things that are happening um so yeah i agree with you trying to balance that way of like bringing people on the journey but if you want to know a bit more a bit more of the detail then you know yeah more than i mean I, I did say homomorphic encryption earlier so i think i'm guilty of, of definitely uh, going a bit deep there um but, but <laughs> you know what i'm saying right i think um you know what no one will buy clean rooms if they can't understand them 
So it's on us, right, as the people who are building these things to make it really plain and clear how they uh, can be used and, and what they are. Great. It's so interesting. I think the use case that people think about with clean rooms is often targeting. Um, what other use cases are there for clean rooms? That's a good question, actually, because everyone gravitates straight to like the audience match, right? I think probably driven by how popular the walled gardens have been with that. But, you know, if we turned off cookies tomorrow, I think the bigger problem would be measurement for most brands, actually. Um, targeting is largely sorted, you could argue, but measurement and analytics. Um, you know, multi-touch attribution has been built around this kind of footprint of everything being tagged. And when that gets switched off, clean rooms are going to be a really great way for brands to go and find unique signal to fulfill a lot of their um, media measurement. So great example, we work with an auto OEM and you know they have the longest purchase cycle as we all know famously and they see a lot in the kind of top funnel through their exposed media on the trade desk and then they've just got this humongous gap in terms of kind of what happened and how it happened. But with clean rooms, we're actually enabling that OEM to go and strike direct relationships with mid-funnel auto-intent, so in the classified space. So we've been able to plug them directly into an auto-classified site. We can take their trade desk data as the top of funnel signal and actually then look for those exposed audiences within that auto-environment. We do that without needing to, you know, have third-party tags on pages and, you know, all the kind of traditional stuff that would need to happen. The auto provider can actually map that directly into the clean room and they feel confident doing that, right? Because they don't have to worry about data leakage. So that's a really good one. Measurement's a massive one. Um, it kind of plays into just generally customer journey analytics, right? This idea that we can, with clean rooms, build the perfect panel, if you will, right, of, of data across each stage of the funnel by connecting to different sources. But one that really excites me is actually how we can use clean rooms to power machine learning. And machine learning also gets talked about a lot and often uh, improperly, I'd say. But, you know, we work with tons and tons of advertisers who have invested lots of money in data science, right? And they do lots of propensity modeling around who wants to buy their product. And if you're a CPG, the big challenge you've historically faced is that you don't really have much access to data to validate those models, right? Certainly not timely and clean data because you're a CPG, right? Um, Pepsi doesn't know anything about everybody like in real time, right? That's not the, the way that most uh, CPGs operate. But with clean rooms, we are actually able to start connecting those models from the CPG on one side to the actual transaction data on a retailer's side and validate whether they're right. And that's a profound shift for, for some of these companies, right? Especially if you're used to buying kind of three-month-old data from Nielsen Catalina as your source of truth for um, not wanting to call out, you know, them specifically, but, you know, third-party data to, to train these things. Do some very interesting stuff there, Wayne, and that feeds back into how you then fuel your bidding, right, and, and the strategies you have around, around buying media. And I think, um, I think connecting the measurement back to investment, I think it's really important. Oh, 100%. Like, especially if you talk to agencies, the ones who have measurement very much on their table, that's what they're really interested in right now. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, two final questions. Uh, the first one is, so what's the future of the clean room? Like, where do you see it going sort of from now until the next five years? Yeah, so I think, you know, they've been around since 2015 in a kind of advertising uh, perspective, right? So we saw the first ones launch then. Um, 
really pretty rudimentary, right? Overlaps between data sets. Then 2018, roughly, we saw kind of Google formalize their one, seeing the walled garden stuff gone for a few years. And now what we're seeing is the likes of Snowflake enable um, clean rooms and data sharing directly where the data already lives. And we're going to see companies like Microsoft Azure and um, um, Amazon Web Services crystallize their offerings there as well. I think that makes those first movers in this space pretty redundant, actually, because what we don't need is a whole separate infrastructure recreated to do data collaboration when we already have all this infrastructure with our data in and everybody's already working with it. So, I mean, that's that's going to be pretty profound, right? Because you know, lots of people have been placing bets on some of this first-gen infrastructure, um, but it looks quite duplicative, I think, in tomorrow's world. And certainly that's where, that's our view on it, certainly at Habu. Um, so, so where we're really focused and where I want to see things go is in actually reducing the level of effort and the amount of complexity in this space quite dramatically. So we talk about building the clean room OS to do that, right? So you know, dumbing down and bringing Windows 95 on top to go back to that analogy. I think that's really important um, because you know, just take a look at Google Ads Data Hub as the example. It's been around for three years and I would argue the utility and the kind of value derivation from that platform is nowhere near as high as it should be, given how long it's been in um, circulation and how much good data is in there. Why is that? Well, it's because if you log in, you're faced with like a blinking cursor and you have to write SQL queries to get the answers out of it. So no wonder it's not scaling. So I think where it's going to go, we're going to push it there. This is our mission in life is to, to massively simplify this world of clean rooms, build the operating system for the future so that people can get the answers they need even if they're a non-technical user, right? That's where we want to see it go. And then on the other side, I think we're just going to see an explosion at the infrastructure layer of, you know, um, third-party data coming straight into databases. We're seeing that with the Snowflake Data Marketplace. Uh, device graphs like Experian coming directly into the database level, so we no longer need to export our data out to there. And obviously, you know, these applications then building directly on top of the data. Love it. All for it, definitely. Brave new world. Brave new world, I love it. <laughs> no code the future. Um, and I guess finally, you know, we spoke about education and people wanting to learn more about this. I know they follow you on LinkedIn. You get some amazing videos of Tim sort of describing how this stuff works. Um, where else can a listener go to find out more about Dean Rooms? Oh, you'll watch this space on that one, I think, a little bit. Um, I was hoping we'd have our resource hub up and ready for this podcast, but we actually don't. We're in the middle of kind of building out a pretty neutral resource hub for all things clean rooms and data collaboration. So we're going to start collating lots of links and, and topics there. So once we've got the tweaks done on that, definitely I'll share it with you and you can share it with your audience. Um, I think there's a chap called Miles Younger. I recommend actually looking up. He works at Mighty Hive. Uh, Miles has done some good stuff and, and he did a great presentation at Programmatic IO a couple of years ago where he really went through the basics of clean rooms if you want to learn about it, talked about the walled gardens. I think that's a good one to dive into. Um, and then, of course, yeah, my videos, you know, shameless plug. Uh, you're reminding me I need to record another one. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not really a series. Um, but I will try and, you know, get as much of this stuff distilled into kind of five, six-minute snippets so that, uh, unlike in the middle of this conversation, we can just kind of like, you know, tackle the key things in a simple way and, and, and let everybody come along for the ride. Yeah, with you on that. Cool. Thanks, Tim. Really appreciate you being a guest on the AdPods, and it's good to see you. Uh, thanks a lot, Wayne. Cheers. Cheers, Tim.
Well, that was episode 12 of the Apod. And I hope you're walking away more knowledgeable and with a better understanding of data clean rooms. They really are becoming more and more prevalent in advertising. So I'm hoping we imparted some wisdom on you today. Anyway, that's it for episode 12 of the Apod. Hope you stay safe and I'll see you soon. Bye.